seriously amazing. What a great touch. I heard you just had a baby. Congratulations. Her name's Presence. We got a double portion of it. Um, obviously, after that, that was unbelievable. Give her a hand, guys. That was sensational. So, Patrick, my brother, my African brother, where are you? What, what a great job you did, man. It's amazing. And look, Tim and Jody are here. Hey, if you don't know Tim and Jody, we, my wife and I love this couple. They are the most incredible, some of the most incredible people you'll ever meet. If you haven't met them, you need to go and meet them and get around them. They are encouraging, they are inspiring. Um, we love you guys. So, so good to see you guys here in um, C3 Silverwater. You know what I was about? I was about to say C3 Parramatta, <laughs> but I better not. C3 Silverwater. Hoo-ha. Hoo-ha. Hey, um, let's get to the word. Is, is that okay? Um, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you, Heavenly Father. The grass fades, the, fla- or the flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. I know, Lord God, that the entrance of your word bring forth light. And I pray, Lord God, that this word will bring forth light and liberty and hope to every single person gathered here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you've got your Bibles there, uh, there's a, I just want to read a couple of scriptures and we'll get into this. Uh, Philemon. I don't know if that's how you even pronounce this thing. How do you, Jody, how do you pronounce it? Do you know? Uh, fly, 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 There we go. Whatever. I, I can read the rest of it anyway. Um, chapter 1, verse 6 says this. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love, isn't this amazing? Listen to this. Your love has given me so much joy and comfort. My brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. His kindness refresh the hearts of God's people. Another scripture I want to read to you in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9, 10, written from the New Living Translation. It says this. This is Paul speaking uh, in his letters to the Corinthians. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. For even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ when I'm weak or when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try and find common ground. Everyone say common ground. Common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. Now, listen, church, I hope... I know this is very indulgent of me, but I hope you don't mind if I just kind of read that again, but with a new translation, with the message translation. Is, is that okay? Listen to this, ready? It says, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order that I might reach a wide 
a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet to God, save life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Isn't that amazing? Huh? Do you know that Jesus worked with a, a wide range? Of, his heart was wide open. He connected and entered the worlds of prostitutes, lawyers, tax prostitutes and lawyers, <laughs> uh, tax collectors, fishermen, lepers, children, uh, soldiers, scholars, teachers, demon possessed people, the average guy on the street, widow, rulers, travelers. He found common ground and refreshed every single one of their hearts. Jesus was in on it. Listen, Jesus has indicated to all of us that if we're going to display that we are living the kind of life that he wants us to live, that we need to do three things. We need to love our brothers and sisters here in this community, in this church, unconditionally. We need to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And we need to love our enemies. The people we hate, we need to love them. You know what? That is such, honestly, a disruptive thought. Love your enemies. That is incredible. This is why I love the Word of God. Because when I'm hooked with the Word of God, I'm constantly changing. He's constantly transforming me to helping me become the man that God wanted me to become in the first place. Love people and find common ground. Listen, Ronald Reagan who was always crossing the political, um, always crossing over into different political spheres, and Rudy Giuliani picked up on this. He said this, he said, my 80% friend is not my 20% enemy. Just because we agree with 80% of the stuff and don't agree with 20%, doesn't it make you my 20% enemy? We need to understand that this is about loving people. Think for, I want you to think just for a moment, about the kind of networks that you're in. Because truthfully, the world you can't enter is the world you can't reach. Sadly, there is so much of the world that the church can't reach and can't enter because the entryway is blocked, because in some ways we've become unrelatable. We need to reach our world by actually growing an interest in life. See, there are interesting people and there are boring people, Right? Interesting people are interesting because they have a lot of interests. <laughs> That's deep, isn't it? <laughs> interesting people are interested in other people other than themselves. Boring people are boring because they're not interesting and they have no interests. <laughs> Does anyone want their money back? <laughs> no, seriously, if, if all you're interested in is medieval castles. You're only going to probably reach a really, really small amount of people. <laughs> like I could probably only seriously talk to someone who's interested in medieval ca castles for maybe 15 minutes. <laughs> and then I'm out, right? <laughs> so if you want to grow an interest in life, you need to be more interesting. 
Sadly, <laughs> some churches, not our churches here in C3, but there are some churches that actually don't grow because the only interest that some people have is the Bible. And if you really push them, they say, oh, well, the Bible commentaries as well. And if you really, really push them, they'd probably say the Bible maps. We need to grow an interest in life. Seriously, what are your interests? Is it fishing? Is it music? Is it salsa dancing? Is it computers? Is it sport? Is it media? Is it writing? Is it fashion, journalism, diving, painting, jewelry making, playing cards, collecting coins, yoga, wine tasting? What are your interests? But the thing, and you know, when I said yoga, that kind of messed with some religious people too, right? Because um, here's the deal. Um, Because here's the deal. Um, You actually have a lot of interests, but they have been buried under such a pile of religious fundamentalism that you can't find them anymore. You know, when I was at school, um, my first business when I was in year 12 was I started a DJ company. I used to DJ school dances. And so this is back in the day when we had like albums, right? Like LPs. (laughs) If, If you're like under 20, you have no idea about what real music actually sounds like, right? So I had, I had about 15 to 20 crates of albums. I'm talking like, um, I had every one of Michael Jackson's 12-inch singles, like every single one of them. But when I became a Christian, people said to me, oh, listen, that's, that's all the devil's music. You're going to burn all that stuff and give it all away. So I gave it all away. So they actually wanted me to burn it or bury it, but I actually gave it to my friend. As you can see, I'm still dealing with the pain of that. <laughs> but, you know, I was in Mumbai last year, and I was at this um, church, right, and we were just talking to this guy. Their family's in church, but the son doesn't come to church anymore, and he's a DJ. And we were able to connect on that interest that I had about DJ. He came to church that Sunday, gave his life to Christ, and is now full-on involved in the church. Because we need to, you want to grow a healthy church? Add, add an interest. Add an interest and you increase your circle of connection. I was, I was in Adelaide and the um, AIS, Australian Institute of Sport, came and they did like talent identification where they measured all the kids. And they basically said, like, listen, according to your measurements, according to all your specifics, your vertical jump, you'd probably be good like either kayaking or like um, or, uh, volleyball. So this young boy took up, um, that I was speaking to, he took up kayaking. Two years later, he was number seven in the world for kayaking. Imagine if you grew an interest outside of what you're currently doing. Imagine what that could actually add uh, to your world. See, building a church is almost like starting a, 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 a social movement. We must Christianize the very fabric of society by bringing the values of Christ to our community until it becomes normal. Not by shoving it down their throats, but by serving them through kindness and thereby refreshing their hearts, by actually loving them. You know, people who I actually have a large amount of um, uh, a large amount uh, to do with, like either past staff that have worked for me or um, people that have just been in, in our world. They often write write me these letters, these long letters, saying, "Ah, oh, you know." thank you so much for all the advice you've given me over the last 10 years. It's really kind of helped my marriage and helped our business and helped all the stuff that we're doing. And, you know, I love getting those letters, but can I be honest with you? I actually don't remember giving any of these people any advice. You know why they write those letters? 
is because we just got them in our world. And we just, we just, we're, my wife, we just were like the people that we are. And people kind of get like, and they, they think I give them advice, but all they've done is just observed me. People ask me all the time, do you, do you, because I'm a motivational figure, they say, oh, do you do motivational pep talks to your kids? Because <laughs> my kids are all pretty, pretty successful in their chosen sphere. But here's the deal, I actually don't. You know what I try and do? I just try and live it. And if I can live it through the process of osmosis, they'll actually just pick it up and get it. My, my nine-year-old, didn't even tell her, my nine-year-old came home yesterday from, from swimming training, and, and she decorated her wall in her bedroom with um, swimming goals. <laughs> She's put all the times up. I didn't even tell her to do it. But because I just, because she's seen my goals, she just lives it. Imagine if we could do that with the people that we're, we, 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 we work with. Listen, on December, uh, on Thursday, December the 1st, 1955, a 42-year-old black woman refused to give up her seat for a white passenger. The, you're all familiar with this story, right? The bus driver called the police. When the police arrived, they asked Rosa, why don't you stand up? Rosa replied, why do you keep pushing us around? I don't know, the officer said, but the law is the law and you're under arrest. At that moment, the civil rights movement pivoted. She drew a line in the sand and said, I will not be pushed any further. Many people attribute that one act of defiance to the signal defining moment of the civil rights movement in America, right? But it wasn't inevitable that Parks' act of rebellion would result in anything but an arrest. See, I don't know if you know this, but Rosa Parks wasn't the first black person arrested for not giving up her seat. She wasn't even the first black person that year. But when she was arrested, it signaled something to other people. Why? Because Rosa Parks Parks was unlike any other person who had been jailed for violating the bus segregation laws. She was a deeply respected and deeply embedded person within her community. So when she was arrested, it triggered something amongst her friends that ignited the initial protest. See, Parks' membership in a dozen of social networks allowed her friends to muster a response before the community's normal apathy took hold. Listen to this. Parks had many friendships and affiliations that cut across cities' racial and economic lines. She was the secretary of the local NAACP chapter, attended the Methodist Church, helped oversee a youth organization at the Lutheran Church near her home. She spent some weekends volunteering at a shelter, others at a, a botanical club, and on a Wednesday night often joined a group of women who needed blankets for a local hospital. She volunteered dressmaking services to poor families and provided last-minute gown alterations for wealthy white people. And the power of those friendships became apparent because as soon as Parks was arrested and landed in jail, her friends got on the phone, talked to everyone in her network. She became a servant. She found common ground with as many people as she possibly could. And because she loved people in her community, her heart was wide open. When she was in trouble, people came to the rescue. You know when I heard Pastor Phil say that 90% of your future is in other people? That was like a game changer for me. That actually really shifted my thinking. Because I grew up thinking that, well, not, all your future is based upon you, isn't it? Opposed to what you do, because we live in such an individualistic society. But 90% of your future is actually in other people. Imagine if we actually got that. Actually got that revelation of what that actually means. Listen, in 2 Kings 
uh, chapter 4. I'm not going to read it. So you don't need to put the scripture up, um, guys. But I, let, me just, let me tell you this story. There's this prophet called Elisha, right? And this widow, her husband had died and left her in quite a lot of debt. And the debtor was coming to take her two sons. So this woman, this widow, goes to Elisha the prophet and says, listen, can you help me? Is there anything that you can do to help my situation? And so Elisha says, what do you have? And she says, well, I've got a little bit of oil. And so what the prophet says is, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to all your neighbors. I want you to grab as many different bottles as you can, jars, jugs, bowls, grab as much stuff as you can and bring them to me. You know what? If we needed a miracle in our world and a man of God said to us, go to your neighbors and ask for some help, you know what we'd probably say? We'd probably say this, well, you know what? I haven't really spoken to my neighbor for a while. <laughs> you know, the fence is pretty high and we don't really see each other. We've got that big hedge now that's kind of grown up and I don't really see them all that often. So I don't know if they'd kind of give me a jug if I asked for one. Oh, I'm the guy at number 46. Oh, oh, that, that, a gay couple moved in there and, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk to them. I'm the guy at number, at number 42. Oh, he's a Muslim. And you know, you know, you know, we don't want to have anything to do with them. Oh, and, and the guy, 23, he's, he's a refugee. So you know what? Listen, man, God, that sounds like a great idea, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to get many jugs, many bowls. You know the size of your miracle is actually dependent upon the size of your relationships? But because we're not relatable, because we haven't grown interest, we haven't connected with people in our community, when, when, when we need help, Sometimes there's no one there. Being in a relationship with people actually unlock miracles in your life. Listen, you know how we all know we're supposed to love people and use things? You know what starts to happen? Is we've started to love things and use people. Have you ever seen, have you ever, have you ever met somebody? or have actually ever been friends with somebody who's actually only friends with you because of what you can do for them. And as soon as you stop being able to do something for them, they actually stop being your friend. You know, there's this phrase I'm trying to knock out of young guys at the moment. It's the reason why I wrote a book called Man of Honor. Um, Because I I had it when guys say things. But young young boys, the only reason why young boys say things like this haven't really been fathered properly. But they go around saying things like this. Or there's girls you just kind of get with and hook up with. Um, they're, they're like your friends with benefits. You don't have to respect them. And there's the girls you actually really respect. You know, there's girls that are subhuman. Because, you know, we, we've started to objectify people. We, we treat them like objects. And maybe it's because most of the people we see today are, like, on our phone. Because <laughs> all we see is pixels. We don't see flesh and blood <laughs> anymore. So maybe it's become easier See, there are really um, two ways, right? Two ways to actually um, relate into people. One is to see them as objects for the function they actually serve us. Like we would view an ATM. You know, ATM machine where you go to get money? It's an object. I could care less how the ATM feels when I go to get money off it. That's right, because it's an object. It doesn't have feelings, it doesn't have emotions, it doesn't have a past or anything like that, right? It's a machine. So I don't really care how it kind of feels. But when we treat people like that, like they're there just to serve us, 
let me illustrate it like this. I'll break it down for you really simply. Ready? Have any of you ever been in, like, uh, the line from hell? You're, you're in this line, right? You're, you're at the shops, and you know how you kind of, like, always, like, try and pick the quickest lane? And you think, oh, this one's going to move. Oh, yeah, I'll get in this one. I think I'll be safe here. And then all of a sudden, this one stops, but it's too late to join the other lanes. And then you're looking to see what, what's going on, because, you know, you're busy, right? You got stuff to do. Look at this, and you see the girl or the guy down the front, and you know what they've got on? They've got this badge that says trainee. <laughs> how do you start to feel about that particular person? <laughs> That's exactly how we treat an ATM. As their priority is there to just serve us, we're just treating them like a function. Not to actually, you know. I've tried to do this because I'm in planes, I'm in, I'm in taxis all the time. They actually try and see people as human beings. Not as just the function they serve us. So when I hop into a taxi, I always ask, oh, hey, how you doing? Are you having a good day? Has it been busy, busy today? Yeah. To actually treat them like a human being. You know when you go and get your coffee? That you actually smile? <laughs> I know it's hard to smile before you get your coffee. <laughs> But sometimes maybe that's what we should actually do. You know, listen, I was reading an interview by uh, Maya Angelou. Um, and you guys are familiar with Maya Angelou, American pro, um, poet. And um, she, was, she was raped at eight years of age by her mother's boyfriend. And she spoke in this interview how, had she, how she had to heal and to come to terms with what actually happened and how she rightly told um, the authorities about what this guy had done. And he was actually jailed, the guy that did this to her. And, but when he got out of jail, he was actually beaten to death by the people in her community, by the men in her community. And um, many people don't know this, but after that, the man's death, um, she, she believes she caused it, um, caused that to happen, because she told on him. And so after he was beaten to death, uh, Maya Angelo didn't talk for a couple of years. Just silent, went dumb. And um, there's this... In the interview, she talks about how she was walking down the street near her home with her mum, and her mum stopped her and turned to her and, and said this, looked her in the eyes and said this, uh, baby, you know something? I think you are the greatest woman I've ever met. Yes, Eleanor Roosevelt, my mother, and you, you are the greatest. May Angelo said in the interview that when she boarded the streetcar with her mum, tears started flowing down her cheeks. As she stared into the wood panelling of the car, she thought to herself, suppose I really am somebody. You know, if I took a $100 note, so if I took a $100 note, so throw it on the ground, just step on it, and try and dirty it, and try and mess it up as much as I possibly could, and also bend over and pick up the $100 note, you know that $100 note would actually still be worth $100? You know some of you have probably been through some stuff. Some people tried to take advantage of you, people tried to abuse you, people tried to use you. But you know what? That does not take away your value or your worth. Your, your life matters more than what you could ever think. And that's what Jesus actually teaches, that the value and sanctity of human life you know, for those of you who don't know, Maya Angelou went on to be an American poet, civil rights activist, actor, writer, director. She has written seven autobiographies, three essays, several books on poetry, plays, music, television shows, spanning 50 years. She has 50 honorary degrees. 
1993, she recited a poem at Bill Clinton's inauguration, the first poet since Robert Frost in 1961. One of her poems, it, it, it's called I Will Rise. And if you, if, 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 I'm only going to read one stanza, but if you can go and grab the, and read the whole thing, it's beautiful. She says, I will rise. Ready? You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may tread me in the very dirt, but still like dust I'll rise. We are called to be the salt and the light of the earth. Showering people with kindness and refreshing their souls, especially as we approach this Christmas season. Christmas should be in our hearts when we meet people in the shops because there's so many people who are angry at Christmas time. Why don't you actually spread a little joy at Christmas? Invite people to the Christmas spectacular. Get them there. Get them to a place where they'll be loved and encouraged and, and be a part of a community. Listen, because honestly, um, th 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 think about this. Um, Christ, Jesus Christ, met the crippled, the lepers, the blind woman, the woman at the well, Mary Magdalene, Zacchaeus, people who were no good, people who were told they were sinners. But God, the king of the universe, comes walking down the street, looks them in the eye, holds their hands and embraces them, eats at their table and in their homes for all the town to see. This must have been the greatest moment of their lives. Imagine if you actually took a hamper to that gay couple or to that Muslim that lived across the street. M imagine if we actually loved people like Jesus loved them. Two things stop kindness. Two things from stop us from having our hearts wide open. Ready? Number one is when we are only interested in ourselves, when we are selfish and narcissistic. Number two is when we objectify others. Napoleon Bonaparte said this. He said, I know men. And, listen to this. I know men, and I can tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible comparison. Alexander the Great, Caesar, and I have founded empires. But on what do we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of people would die for him. Christianity is about love. And then, imagine this. Seriously, imagine this. We live in a world, in a culture that is anti-Christ. Think about the messages that get, 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 get that gets preached everywhere. Messages of hate, message of fear, Message of doubt. What did Jesus come to give us? He comes to give, gave us a message of love, of, of faith, and of hope. Listen, um, imagine, seriously, imagine if this whole thing, this, this whole message, imagine if the good news, seriously, if, imagine if the good news, imagine if this gospel, imagine if the message that Jesus brought down from heaven was all about love. Because it actually is. But we so complicate it, don't we? Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to close, but I just want to, I just want to say this. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this scripture in Philippians 2.12. I didn't tell the guys about this. But I've been thinking a lot about it lately. The, it, the scripture goes like this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I take this to mean that salvation isn't something you just go around feeling sure of. It's not like something you just like tick off your, li- your to-do list and go, well, I did it, it's done. Now, I think it means that working out your salvation involves a very careful searching of our heart, asking time and time again, what are we really doing here by attending church? And what are we actually really doing here? What, how are we living a life that actually really honors him? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Are we really showing people the love that he first showed us? So here today, um, what I want to do is, can I just have everyone just look at me really carefully? Because I'm, I'm going to close. I just want to give you the last bit of this. Um, there are probably people in this room right now that you've heard about this, this God that I speak about. You hear about him often, right, in conversation. But you don't actually really know him. There's a big difference between hearing a lot about him and actually having a personal relationship with him. I'm not talking about religion. I- I'm talking about a relationship with your maker. Then there are people in this room who you once knew him, but you actually feel disconnected from him. Somewhere along the way, you got disconnected. Oh, you come to church often, but you wouldn't know in your heart, you're really far from him. You're not really living the life that he actually ordained for you. And it's become so easy to slip in the culture of the world with this objectifying of people, doesn't it? And we become disconnected in our hearts. Talking about your heart, we need to search out. That's why every time we come to church, we need to search our heart. God, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more like your mind, drifting away. Then are, are there people in this room, and you're not sure of your eternal death. If you were to die today, you don't know whether you make it to heaven. Oh, you're a good person, but please don't misunderstand me. Jesus Christ has not come to make bad people good. Do you know there are actually people that actually think that? He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. He came to make you alive on the inside. So you can actually live, live life, not just kind of go through life like the lights are on but nobody's home, but actually live. So if you fall into one of those three categories, here, you've come to church. You think you just came here this morning. Now God orchestrated for you to be here, for you to hear this message so you can get your heart right. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So if, if you're here today and you fall into one of those three categories, you don't really know him. You want to know him. I want to pray for you in just a second. If you feel disconnected from him, again, let me pray for you. And if you're not sure of your eternal destiny, then can I pray for you so you get that assurance, that knowing that you know that you know? So if you fall into one of those three categories, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. On the count of three, I want you to put up your hand. Not on the count of five, not on the count of four, but on the count of three. Let's get our hearts right. Let's connect to our God here this morning. If you want to connect to God here this morning in a fresh and new way, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. Ready? Here we go. All across this auditorium. Ready? No one looking around. No one looking around. This is is between you and God. Not between anybody else. Ready? Here we go. Ready? One. Two. Three. Anyone here in this room right now want to come to a deeper relationship with Him? Beautiful. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, my God, my God, my God. My God, my God, my God. 
guys, let's just pray, hey? Can everyone just stand to their feet? Let me just pray a final prayer before I hand back over to Hartley. Lord God, I just thank you, Lord God, for your presence and for your power. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that our hearts, Lord God, will be transformed and changed, Lord God. Here today, because of this word, Lord God, let us have our hearts, Lord God, wide open, Lord God. Let us be more embracing of people, Lord God. Let not let, not let the culture and the nature of this world take over our thinking, Lord God, but let us always be connected to You. Let us always keep our bearings on Christ, never faltering, never moving to the left or the right, Lord God, but keep our hearts wide open and connected to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand, hey? Awesome, Glenn. Thank you. Powerful word, common ground. Lord, I pray that we would be people that would find common ground. You know, if there's one great thing my dad gave me, and he's not the most um, talented or educated, he's a man that always found common ground. He unlocked the hardest.